0: Nobody got any sunburn or anything terrible like that on the way in this morning with the bright skies out there. So, uh, it is good to have everybody out, and I'll just echo uh, what's been said in terms of uh, happy Mother's Day to all the, all the mums. And uh, I, I also just want to acknowledge that today can bring mixed emotions for many people, uh, perhaps relationships with uh, mothers or children. Uh, strained or not what you would like. Um, sometimes um, mothers have lost children. Children have lost mothers. Um, and some some women that would like children have not had them. There's so many different life situations. And uh, we, we want to be sensitive to uh, each person at, at whatever point in life you are. At the same time, we do want to acknowledge... Uh, the value and the preciousness of, of mothers and uh, the blessing that, that that can be and the hard work that that can be. I have a couple of other things to mention. Uh, the first is that um, la- we, we announced last week we'd raised over $6,000 for Compassion Sunday. I have the exact figure right here. And uh, that figure was 6400 And uh, so we have sent off a check for half that amount to uh, disaster relief team um, and uh, another quarter of that amount uh, to Camp Hunt. And so uh, then the remaining quarter will be allocated to local um, missions or or, or, um, charities in, in the area. And we'll let you know as we allocate those, those funds in the coming weeks. Um, the other thing I want to let you know about is that uh, we know Walk for Water is coming up. You might have heard about that. Um, and what we really want people to do is to walk and to raise money from people that aren't part of the church. Right? Go to other people and, and ask them for money and then walk and... You know, sort of earn their money. But we recognize that some people, perhaps you're busy on that day or you're not able to walk, um, and so we want to give you an opportunity to give, and uh, here's, here's a, a, a way that you can give. John Quinnen and myself were talking, and uh, he thinks that he can raise $500 before I can Right? I said, I don't know about that. You know, I've got a platform here. I, you know, I can encourage people. So what he said he would do to even the playing field is that he will match whatever you donate. He'll donate it to you. Okay? So if you go online and you, you find uh, hhi.org and look for Walk for Water, then look for June 12th, then look for Lawson Road, you'll find it. Finally, look for John Quinnan. give him $100, and then if you're registered to walk, he'll come back and give you $100, so your fundraising is underway as well. Uh, so, uh, that's that's something he's doing to try and get a leg up on me, or you can just give to me, you know, you won't get your money doubled or anything, but, you know, you'll help me get to 500 before him, so... Uh, Uh, The options are yours uh, as to what you do, and you've still got some time to to work towards that. All right, today is our final sermon in a short series that we've called Return to Eden. Uh, I don't have any slides today, I've kind of had a busy week, but uh, uh, follow along with me and I think we'll make something out of this text today the idea of the series is that from the moment eden was corrupted by sin god began working to restore it i've mentioned several times that genesis begins with a tree of life planted by a river in the middle of a garden And we get to Revelation and we find that the the book of Revelation and the Bible as a whole ends with a tree of life planted by a river. And we're picking up today in Genesis chapter 3. There's a lot going on here in this this chapter. Adam and Eve have eaten the forbidden fruit. They're about to receive their, their punishment. And then in verse we, we find them hiding. And as they're hiding, verse 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day now i don't know about you but what does the sound of god walking in the garden sound like okay. is it a gentle breeze in the treetops or is it footsteps that sound something like you know a herd of elephants right i don't know but apparently Adam and Eve knew what it sounded like for God to be walking in the garden because they said, shh, he's coming. And I want to suggest that it's, in, in all likelihood the reason they knew what it sounded like was because they'd heard it before. It's quite possible that this evening walk with God was a regular, maybe a daily Heart, or a daily event for Adam and Eve. They knew what it was to walk with God. And so this image of, of Adam and Eve walking with God prompts me to the, consider the question of why did God create the universe and particularly create humanity? Would God really come down each night just to hang out with Adam and Eve? Did he not have better things to be doing? Or or, or perhaps did, did he come down at the end of every day to check up on them to see what sort of life they'd been living? To count the fruit on that tree and see if any was missing? Or did he come down and say, hey, this one rule is too easy for them. I need to give them another one. And to keep adding to their rules over time. What was it that prompted God to create and then visit His creation? Now, if we respond too quickly, we might suggest that God created humanity because He was lonely. Or perhaps He needed help asking Adam and Eve to care for the garden. But God doesn't need creation to make himself complete. Within the unity of the, the Trinity, the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they experience a loving relationship that was complete without us. We're told that God is defined as God is love. However, just as under ideal circumstances a husband and wife will decide to interrupt their lives to expand their loving relationship and have children. Creation is a product of the Trinity's love for one another. Love, by nature, tends to expand. Love, by nature, tends to expand. So God's created, Genesis 1, takes place because God's love was expanding. And so it's not surprising then to see all three members of the Godhead involved in the act of creation. We might say that God the Father creates all things through the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6, Paul explains, he says, Yet for us there is but one God. The Father, from whom all things come, and for whom we live. Then he says, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come, and through whom we live. So there's a slight difference right there. Everything comes from the Father, we live for the Father, but it was created through the Son, and we live through the Son. Um, and so if we, and then if we go back and we, we pay attention to Genesis 1 and 2, we see several times uh, that the, the Spirit or the breath of God um, is present and involved in the creative act. And so, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all involved here at the very very beginning. This holy, loving Trinity creates out of love. And from the very beginning, it wasn't just a, a craft project that the the Godhead decided to make because they love doing things together. From the beginning, God longed to have a loving relationship with his creation, with us, humanity. Now, sin interrupted his walk with Adam and Eve, but he still desires to walk with us today. I want to read Revelation 21 and... uh, It doesn't. I said that the book of Revelation ends with a tree of life, and it does. That's in chapter 22. But I want to read in in 21 another image, and uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. Again, this is at the end after Satan has been defeated, after uh, the, the wicked have been judged. He says, Then I saw a new heaven. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. From walking in the garden at sunset, living with creation there in Eden, with Adam and Eve in Eden. Two, we're told here, um, God Himself will be with them, His people, and be their God and wipe away every tear. God wants us to trust Him, wants us to love Him as He loves us, wants us to live with Him. Earlier, well, let me say, we we see this movement, this desire for relationship that begins in Genesis and runs through to Revelation. And as we go through Scripture, we see time and again God expressing this desire for um, closeness, for, for relationship, for a loving connection between himself and his people. In Exodus chapter 34, God takes time to uh, reveal, to, to tell his people who he is so that they can know him better. Um, this is just after he's given the Ten Commandments, uh, but I don't think the Ten Commandments were, was the biggest event of the day. It says, Moses chiseled out in verse 4, two stone tablets like the first went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord commanded and carried the tablets in his hand. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So God gives the commandments and gives the law to the people of Israel, but that wasn't the end of it. He takes this time... To say, now I want to tell you who I am. I want you to know me. And his own description, his autobiographical description, is that he is compassionate and gracious. That he's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin yet pursuing justice and punishing uh, wickedness, uh, punishing the guilty where appropriate. Earlier this year, we spent some time in the book of Hosea. And there Hosea, the prophet, marries Gomer. Not his high school sweetheart, but nonetheless, he marries her Because God says, I want you, Hosea, to illustrate the relationship that I want with the nation of Israel, my people, Israel. Now, I want you to think for a moment, how might God illustrate the relationship that he wants with his people? He could have said, I'm the creator God. I have more power in the tip of my little finger than you can dream of. If you don't do what I tell you, I'll uncreate you. From dust you came, and from dust you shall return. He could say, I'm your king. If you don't do what I tell you, I'll punish you. Instead of of these descriptions that are based on power and, and force, he says to Israel, I'm your husband. And I love you. And you're hurting me with your unfaithfulness. You're hurting me with these affairs that you're having with the other gods, with the idols. And he says, you need to go away. But when you're ready, I'll bring you back. Because I'm your husband. And because I love you. And that's the story And so God chooses this relational description to say, this is how I exist with my creation. Throughout this series, I've told you that all of these threads that that run from Genesis through history all run through Jesus. And so in John chapter 1, we find this, um, I guess like a a prologue, an an introduction to the Gospel of John in verses 1 through 18. And and overall, I think we would say that it's talking about Jesus who comes in the flesh, as God in the flesh, as God who walks among us. And it has echoes of Eden. I think it was last week I mentioned that, that John begins his Gospel by saying, in the beginning. Exactly the same words that Genesis begins with. And so John is saying there is a new beginning. There there is a new creation that is about to, or that is happening in front of us. That God is once again, just as he did in Eden, God came to earth and walked with Adam and Eve. Now God has come to earth and is walking and living among us. In verse 12, though, We again see this relationship that God is desiring, that God is pursuing with humanity. Um, In verse 12, it says there, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Jesus, to those people, those of us who receive Him, who accept Him, who believe in Him. He says, because of that, you get to become children of God. That's relationship, right? God's not looking for servants. God's not looking for more angels. God's not looking for, you know, subjects. But rather... Jesus came so that we could become children of God. And I want to draw your attention then to the final verse in in this section, in this introduction. And that is verse 18. No one, we're told, has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made Him known. And, and the, the passage from uh, John 17 that Glenn read earlier has this same idea that, that Jesus has made known the Father. That, that part of His coming was to reveal God to us because God wants to be known. You know... If you go on a date, right, I know some of us, you know, it's like, oh, way back in history somewhere, right? But you go on a date, you sit down at a, across a restaurant table, and you have a conversation, and the first thing, or one of the first things you say is, tell me about yourself. Because we want to know the person. And then to whatever extent the person wants to be known, they, they tell about themselves, And, and often we, we keep back all the negative things, right? And we, we say, oh, I'm a wonderful person. <laughs> right? uh, you know, we, we share all the things that we think the other person will like. But Jesus came and lived among us. And in doing that, he makes, himself, makes God, the Father, known to humanity. And I think we should see that as this kind of, um, not as a date, but, but as this relationship building. It's a step in relationship building that we, we get to know one another. God already knows us. right? That's part of being God. The next step is for us to know Him. And so God's desire... In this passage, as John introduces who Jesus is, is not that we follow his rules, but that we know him. And then, because of our relationship with God, then we'll live in a manner that honors him. And so, from Genesis to Revelation, God reveals, uh, the, the Bible reveals God's intention for humanity. That is, to be known, and to have relationship with us, to be our God, to be our Father, to walk with us, to live among us, to wipe away our tears, remove our pain, and to experience His love. We need to be clear, I think, as we come to Scripture and as we study it, that that the commands that He gives us, the instructions that He gives us, are a means to an end, not an end in themselves. God didn't create the universe so that He could give rules and watch people follow them. Rather, He created the universe and humanity as an expression of love. And we see then those instructions that He gives us as expressions of that love. But we live right now not in the Garden of Eden and not in the new heaven and the new earth. We live between the trees. And so what does walking with God look like in the here and now? I want to turn as we close to Psalm 119. I'm not going to read the whole psalm. But uh, I'm going to pick it up in Psalm 100, in verse 105, just read this, this section, 105 to 112. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. We've been talking about walking with God, right? I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. And so these few verses taken from the longest chapter in the Bible provide some insight into walking with God, right? Let God's word guide your way. It's a lamp and a light. But that's verse verse one hundred five. The rest of those verses describe moments of struggle as well as moments of, of joy. And and they reflect that the the journey that we're on, the walk that we take, even if it's with God, contains these ups and these downs, these difficult paths, um, as well as tremendous views of scenery. But whether it's a a good verse or a a difficult verse, the psalmist is um, determined in every verse. To be faithful to God and to His law. He says, in, um, oh, well, and then in verse 111, uh, we see there it well describes, I believe, the Jew attitude of the Jews to God's laws. They weren't burdensome or oppressive. They were a gift to guide God's people through life. It says, there, "Your statutes are my heritage." Forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Right? What are the things in life that make you joyful? Birthday cakes, Mother's Day, Christmas, and the law books that come out of Albany. Right? Maybe not. But the Jews are saying the laws that God has given His people are something that give them joy. Because God is showing them the best way to live a life, how to live a life in harmony with Him. And so, I don't know how you view your relationship with God today, but one thing I want to encourage you uh, to start today if you haven't already, is to read the Bible not with the goal of knowing all God's rules. They're there, and you'll find them. But I want to encourage you to read the Bible with the goal of knowing God. Because God's not hiding in Eden. And God's not waiting for us, and hiding out in the new creation until we get there. God came to earth, lived among us, walked among us, revealed Himself to us, died for us, rose again for us. God wants to be known by us. And the question is, are we going to take the steps? Are we going to invest in that relationship? Right. Don't we so often sit down? Well, I don't know. But you, know, you, you imagine sitting at that table, that restaurant table, for the first time with somebody. Maybe you're just meeting them and say, tell me about yourself. And, and you hear something. You go, I don't want anything to do with this person ever again. Right? <laughs> or maybe they say that about you. I don't know. But, but, but it's like, what are we going to do if we say, hey, I really like this person. This was a really great dinner. Do we just go home, journal about it, and then move on with life? Rather, we we say, what's your phone number? When can I call you? When can I see you again? What's the next? Would you like to do this? Would you like to do that? And, and, And so it is with God. Do we just come and we say, God, there's a lot of things I really like about you. And then we go on about living our lives. Or... Or, or once we're aware that God wants to be known by us, are we going to take the steps of spending time getting to know Him? Spending time in His Word, spending time in prayer, spending time with His people, spending time in worship, getting to know God. That is the object of our faith, not to live perfect lives because we're not going to do that. The object of our faith is to know God.